you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky and our pal Rhett here today as Rhett turns his phone off. This is such a rookie move, Buck. I mean, we got to constantly coach this guy up. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that that happened in like real time as you were talking. Uh, that, that was an impressive uh, little pivot there, bud. Uh, but thanks for the welcome. <laughs> Hey, it's great to have you. It's great to have you. What can I say? Hey, Buck, why don't you tell everybody what we're uh, what we're talking about today? And so, look, as we're getting closer to the draft, we want to make sure that we talk about the risers in the process, the guys that are kind of climbing up the charts. You just released your third version of the mock draft. And Red has a little commentary on some of the things that have happened of late in drafts and whether these guys were risers or reaches uh, when we look back at most recent draft classes. Oh, there we go. Uh, by the way, the other day, if you were watching Path to the Draft, uh, Buck, I don't know if you caught it when I said it, but we were coming out of a we're coming out of a segment, and uh, I referred to Rhett as Brett. Uh, I did, I did hear that. I was thinking that maybe you were in baseball mode and you were thinking about Brett Saberhagen or something like that. But oh yeah, it's That's all a good. good. One. Yeah. It's all good. Or Brett the Hitman Hart. You know, <laughs> honestly, it's just it's the lack of respect that hurts the most. Um, I, I, I think you look a lot better as a Brett, to be totally honest with you. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good to know. All right, BJ, let's get it going. Yeah, there we go. All right, let's jump in, man. Let's. Uh, uh, first of all, before we get to that stuff, I, I do want to talk about uh, Buck. I don't think we've had a chance in the podcast to hit on this. The uh, the challenge for these teams now that we know everybody in their individual home. So for those that don't know, inside a, a regular draft room, why don't you explain on draft day, yeah, you know, the number of people in there and just kind of how the operation works in a normal year. Yeah, so in, in, in a normal war room, like when we get to draft weekend, uh, you have your area scouts, you have your directors, uh, you have your general managers, your high-level executives, and then the owner will pop in on occasion. And what typically goes down, and when you're not on the clock, there's a lot of conversation, there's a lot of good eating, um, you, you're sampling the fare, and you're just kind of talking about the scenarios. Well, the change this year in going to a virtual draft is – you may not have the same opportunity to have some of these impromptu conversations and discussions that go on. And also, as we've talked about, um, when it comes to trading, uh, trade, there's a lot of phone calls, a lot of interaction, a lot of um, teams checking in. Hey, if you know our guy's there, we may call you. What would it take? There's a lot of that communication that's going back and forth. And it's also a lot of dialogue and communication with the league. And so when you're trying to do this virtually, uh, you worry about time delays, you worry about technology um, kind of faltering, and you not being able to do it. I mean, DJ, I'm trying to figure out, were you in Baltimore uh, the year that the Minnesota Vikings were not able to get the pick, and Baltimore jumped up and got the guy that they wanted, and Minnesota had to fall back? I can do you one better. I, I went to Baltimore after that draft, right after that draft. I was working for ESPN on that draft. I was wow, helping more. I was answering his phones and keeping notes and all that stuff off the side. And I'm sitting there, and uh, I believe it was in Radio City Music Hall, and you're just watching the time tick down, and you're like, 
they don't have a pick in. And, and it was like literally in real time watching the tables and watching just running those picks up there uh, to get them in. It was it was the most bizarre draft experience I've ever had. That was the Kevin Williams draft, wasn't it? Yeah, that's when I believe they ended up with Suggs. That's when the uh, the Ravens ended up with Suggs. You know, left, which was, was who they wanted. They ended up uh, getting Suggs. I'd say that it, it, it that worked, worked out, out uh, quite yeah, well. It worked, worked out all right. Yeah. But Buck, you know, it is interesting with the with the way this thing's going to function with everybody at home. And I think the challenge in talking to GMs is just the trade thing. That's all they're worried about. And that's why I was curious, you know, Rhett. I'd love to get your thoughts on this to see if the league might adjust the time in the first round or even in the second, just to give them a little bit more time, an extra minute or two to help kind of get everybody on the same page when you're trying to coordinate with your group uh, in all different locations, then coordinate with a team to try and uh, coordinate a trade and then try and coordinate with the league. It's just, it's going to be a little more uh, involved in the process as opposed to having everybody in one room. You know, that's a good point. The, the trades might, might be the most technologically difficult part to maneuver here. When you're talking about, you've got, let's say, you know, let's say your draft room consists of 10 guys, right? And you're all trying to get on the same page with one Zoom call, trying to figure out, all right, you've got the GM making the calls to the other teams, fielding calls as well, and then try to get on one page and then have the wherewithal to then go ahead and communicate the finished product to the league. I wonder if it, you know, could we go back to 15 minutes, which the first round was up until a few years ago, or, or just maybe add, you know, go up to 12 minutes or something. Anything like that would probably alleviate some of those concerns just a little bit. Um, but the one thing I hope is that it doesn't result in fewer trades because yeah. trades, That's what makes the draft trades fun. is why we love the draft. All right. They moved up. Why? What happened? What did they give up? Where are they going to get? So um, that's one of my favorite parts of the draft. I hope it doesn't curb that. Yeah. And Buck, I, I think to give people an image, let's say, you know, let's just grab this draft. Say you're uh, Atlanta, you're picking 16, right? Just to grab a team and a number. So all of a sudden the pick gets turned in from Denver. The Atlanta Falcons are on the clock. Well, at that point in time, you might have the GM get a phone call from Minnesota. Your director of player personnel might get a phone call from Miami. Uh, another phone. You click over, and there's there's Philadelphia on the phone. You've got three teams. You're trying to talk with three teams, get their best offer, figure out do we want to trade back, looking at charts, and then try and coordinate all that with those teams, with your own group, and then get it to the league. I mean, that's one thing when we're all sitting here together and we can just go, okay, this is what they've got, this is what Minnesota offered, this is what Philly offered, and we can, boom, do it. It's another thing when it's difficult, when you've got a bay of monitors with all these different faces in it trying to coordinate all that. Well, that's the other thing too, DJ, because um, we've always had the luxury of having a central phone line or two where everyone knew exactly what number they needed to call if they wanted to get uh, whatever, the red line, to, to the general manager to be able to have those conversations. Now with everyone working remotely, how do those duties change? Because there were certain people that were assigned to the phone. There were other people assigned to the phones to call the prospects. Uh, you had the medical team that was around so you could reference them. I mean, you're trying to coordinate a lot of different things remotely and everyone working from the house with the challenges of also working at home when you have your family and kids and dogs and all that other stuff running around. I don't envy them. I know people have made it like, oh, well, it's just like a fantasy draft, but there's so many more layers. A little that bit go less on the line with the fantasy. That is different. <laughs> yeah. Can, can I can I give you can I give you one thought here because you just brought up a good point? You know, of you have your family and your kids and dogs and all kinds of stuff going on. If it is a truly a stay at home order, right? 
but could you could you um, rent an apartment or rent a uh, you know a, a different place and and just ma- set that up almost as your own home office slash war room? You're technically in your home. It's just one of your homes. You're not not you know just confined in your original residence. I just wonder if some teams, if you know if you've got a bunch of distractions around you and you feel like that would help you execute it better. I, I, I'm sure that's permissible, right? I mean, under the letter of the rule, just you're at home. You're at a home. Well, I mean, we can't have a frat house. Probably get it. Probably get everyone, it for cheap too. Yeah, can't have <laughs> yeah, everyone no in, in different different little rooms. And you know, in how L.A. and California living is, you have a guest house in the back, and maybe I'm the general manager, but I have a guest house that I just happen to have some guests that we can. Cato Kalen. Um, it's the Cato Kalen draft room. Oh, <laughs> yes. oh boy. <laughs> That's great. It's going to get weird. Uh, it's a little pool house. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, but let, before we get to the mock draft here, I do want to talk about some of these guys that are rising up through the process. Uh, so I'm going to give you a list of names that just um, I'm hearing more about as we, as we kind of come down the close. And starts with Isaiah Wilson from, from Georgia, who is a hulking tackle on the opposite side of Andrew Thomas. Came out early. Uh, Buck, I'm sure you remember him from high school, coming from Brooklyn. Uh, big time, big time recruit. I still think very raw, even though he's played a lot of football there. Uh, he's a little bit top heavy, but man, he is massive and uh, it moves pretty well. And teams, I've talked to a bunch of GMs that, that swear to me this kid will go in the first round, uh, more than likely in the 20s. Uh, Damon Arnett from Ohio State is a corner who is getting a lot of juice coming down the stretch here. Ran in the mid four fives, but just really competitive uh, and a good player. So I keep an eye on him. We've talked about Willie Gay, the linebacker from, uh, from Mississippi State. Uh, we've talked about him a bunch on the podcast, but he can fly mid four fours. The off the field stuff was more academic related, and teams have felt good about his interviews. So he's he's one that's making a push. And then uh, I'll go to another linebacker that uh, kind of coming through the the end of the process here. Uh, Joe Batchy from uh, from Michigan State is uh, is getting a little bit of love here as we come down the home stretch. Somebody that uh, just real instinctive. Um, he had a suspension in 2019 for PEDs, um, but I guess uh, teams have grown more comfortable with his whole situation. But very instinctive, just a good football player, ran four six seven. So uh, the kind of speed you're looking for at the position, he's another one. And I'm not saying he's, he's not going in the first or second round, but somebody that I think was viewed more as a back half guy uh, who's maybe in that mid-round discussion now. Uh, DJ, it's interesting about the Isaiah Wilson conversation is because I think this would typically happen around this time of the year in the draft process because there have been so many underclassmen that have come out. Sometimes it takes a while for everyone to catch up with those guys. And not so much that Isaiah Wilson got lost in the sauce, but by the time the combine came, you only had probably like a month from the end of Georgia season to the combine. So you may not have been fully up to speed. We normally would have started hearing about these names during pro days because scouts get together. They begin to have those conversations. So what we're going to see now, these names that you're mentioning, people are just now getting their arms around everybody that's in the class. And that's why we're hearing these guys that are late risers, where really it's more so they're becoming more nationally known. And that's generally... Right. That's generally what happens around this time of year. We, we get a little bit closer. We start hearing a little bit more about some of these guys. And that's kind of what determines a riser in our in our landscape here. Right. Yeah. Um, hey, question on Wilson, though. I mean, Andrew, you still expect Thomas to come off the board first. There are 
people in the league that believe there's a chance Isaiah Wilson gets picked before his teammate. Wow. I, I, I don't I don't think that'll happen. I think Thomas will, will be picked before him, but it's a discussion. Um, and I've had it with several personnel guys over the last week. So it's that that gap might be a little bit closer than you think. So we'll we'll see what happens. He's not he's not one of my top five tackles, so that's that's too early for me. But again, that's where uh, that's what you hear around the league. One other guy I will mention, and this is uh, and I don't just do this because Rhett's on here, Buck, because he is the official uh, flag bearer for uh, for Conference USA. Uh, Legereus Sneed from uh, from Louisiana Tech, who. I watched him as a safety, and I, he ran four three seven. I watched him as a safety. I didn't love him. And then people, I talked to a bunch of folks, said, go back and watch him as a corner the previous year. Go back and watch him as a corner, and you start to see some of that athleticism and those traits. And when you've got a tall corner that's four three seven um, that also can cross-train and be a safety, you can see why, Buck, guys like this are guys that start really, really grabbing people's attention. Yeah, so, so how about that? I mean, the, Louisiana Tech having a loaded secondary where they could have maybe three guys that have an opportunity to play at the next level. Um, that's really interesting. I want to go back to Damon Arnett, though, because it is interesting how, and we talk about the biases that can prevent us from really respecting good players. Damon Arnett didn't really run what everyone thought he was going to run. But I'm looking at my notes, DJ, and I have down under old grading system, like a mid-second round grade. I have a 6.5 plus in my thing. And I'm looking, disciplined corner, good feet, balance, body control, good technician, bail off, great eyes, leverage. But because we get swayed during the track meet portion of the year, guys like that kind of fall to the back of the pack. And I think it takes everybody kind of reconvening, having these meetings, leaning on the area scout. Is there anybody that we're missing? When we look at the board, is there anybody that we're too low on? Let's have that conversation and discussion now. And some of the late risers are guys that have been saved by having these conversations. So uh, I think that's an interesting point that you make there. And uh, just one more that I'll make on uh, Sneed. Um, you know, he played exclusively at corner in the NFLPA game. Uh, in the all-star game in January. So mm-hmm. yeah, coming off playing safety his final year at Tech, he went back to corner for all of the scouts and the evaluators there to see. And, Bucky, you remember um, John Lynch was the only general manager that showed up to practice at the NFLPA yes. game. It was He was going. He was on his way down to, I think, either to, to St. Pete or Tampa for the East-West or uh, eventually to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. But he sat down – with Legereus Sneed for about 20 minutes after practice, just on the bench talking. Um, kind of a guy that a, a guy like John Lynch might appreciate there, uh, DB, um, with that kind of mindset and that kind of cross-trainability. And, then of course, you know I love Amik Robertson in the corner there. Um, at the yeah, Amik Robertson well. is like literally – Amik Robertson and Buck, we'll do this uh, in a podcast right before the draft where we do a kind of our red star guys. Amik Robertson, spoiler alert, he's he's definitely on the podium uh, for me when it comes to red star. Oh, yeah? That, oh, oh, yeah, you're, 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 you're all in? He will sting yeah, you, man. I'm a man. big fan. Yeah. Colin Johnson, I can show you the play. I mean, it's the it's the first or second play against Texas. Colin Johnson at six foot six, Amik Robertson at a little under five nine, and he just chokes him at the line of scrimmage. And I went, okay, I'm in. You're <laughs> off this little dude, and he's got so much production. But anyways, we'll, we'll get to Red Stars on, on a later episode. Rhett, I know you had a homework assignment, I did. and you went back and on this whole thought of guys that came up late in the process. You came up with an idea. It's a great idea. Trying to differentiate: were these guys risers or were these guys reaches? Yeah. Uh, so why don't you run through some of those names? Yeah. Here, look. I went. I actually went all the way back to 2015, and uh, I was looking at. You know, and I think a lot of times we find this in the later 
the later half of the first round, even like 20 to 32, uh, especially. So like I go back and look at a guy like Demarius Randall at number 30 in 2015, the Packers, maybe not something we expected at the tail end of the first round, right? Um, I'm not even sure if he was in that riser first round conversation, um, but maybe the way the first round played out, uh, the Packers felt like they had to get him there. And then a reach that year, maybe, Lakin Tomlinson, 28 to the Lions, the guard. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, the, that's an interesting one because I had got wind of that. Uh, I, so I had him in the first round, but I don't remember who I had. I don't know if I had him to the team or not, but I had him going in the very late first round because I believe he had some good workouts, and I know uh, teams had been impressed with him in the meetings. But, that Bucky, that's a classic case of at the time and for his career in Detroit, we would have said reach. Yeah, but now – then. He's what the 49ers is playing like a first round first round pick on a Super Bowl caliber team. Yeah, it it, it is all about like uh, the pick. And it goes back to a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago with uh, first rounders and why it's always important that you always kind of bring those guys in if they've been dispatched in their first place, because you just never know. Uh, coaching staff environment might not have been conducive to bringing the talent to the surface. Tomlinson goes to another team, another coaching staff, a scheme that better suits his skills and he's a starter on a Super Bowl team. And so it's one, it's one of those things where it's really, really important that for a league where 85% of the players are system players, they have to go to the right system to really uh, allow that potential to blossom, the talent that we see or, or that we speculate seeing uh, when we evaluate them. A couple more, and I'll, I'll get to, through these pretty quick here. Uh, in 2016, this one I thought was a great definition of a late riser, at least in our circles, Keanu Neal at number 17 to the Falcons in the first round, really kind of came on late in the process and started getting mocked into the first round. And then reached that year, pro- probably got to go with Josh Garnett at 28, uh, the guard out of Stanford for the Niners. Yeah, that was that coffee was way rich on Josh Garnett. Um, and that one, I remember, I remember going on Colin Cowherd the day after that first round. So we did the first round. I go on his show the next day, and he said, "I love what the uh, I love what the 49ers did." Da, 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 da. And I said, "Oh man!" I said, "I can't I can't get on board with the Josh yeah. Garnett pick. That, <laughs> that was way too rich." Uh, but I do. I, I remember sitting in the trailer doing that uh, as you're getting ready for the next day of the draft. But uh, yeah, he was definitely he was definitely a reach uh, with that one. Do you have any, any more? Rhett? Hit yeah, with some more. What we got? Yeah, I'm gonna get one to you, um, boy, guys. I remember going back to 2017. Corey Davis never ran a 40. Remember he was hurt, and but he had yes. all those highlight reel catches, and then he ends up going five overall to the Titans in 2017. I mean, look, the biggest riser maybe ever was Patrick Mahomes, right? Coming up uh, uh, with the Chiefs moving up from 25 to 10. Um, maybe reach that year, Taco Charlton, 28, again, to the Cowboys. That seems to be reach territory at 28. Um, how about Frank Ragnow in 2018 as a riser uh, late in the process, getting into the first round, the center out of Arkansas going uh, to the Lions. And then Terrell Edmonds. I mean, it, it almost felt like guys like the Steelers were like, wait, he's here in the building? Let's pick it. <laughs> Right. Oh, I could. I mean, I'll I'll get to both two stories quickly on these guys, and I'll get Buck on this. But um, Ragnow. So I get to the drafting city. I believe that year was Dallas. I want to say was the Ragnow year. Um, but we are about we're about three days before the draft, and uh, I go out to dinner with Mayock, and we start and we're talking about different players and different guys, and he goes, uh, I said something. I said, see, I'm hearing some buzz about Ragnow. 
late in the process, but I just I watched. I was not a fan. I was not a huge fan of him. And he's like, he's like, well, you know, he had the you know high ankle or some type of an injury that he had in in like these two or three games. Which games did you watch? Well, the games that I watched were the games the where apparently game. he was not healthy at all. And he was so I'm like, ah, oh, crap. We're three days out from the draft, so I go back to the hotel that night, watch all of his healthy games. So I end up, I think I made him like my 40th player, like two days before the draft. I put him in my top 50, uh, and then he ends up he ends up being a first round pick. I mean, I thought he he ended up being a second round pick, but it it was any kind of information you can get, you've got to act on it. Uh, so that was him. And then the other one that you mentioned uh, with Corey Davis, Buck, do you remember um, a video circulated of him running routes? Yes. Um, late in the process. So while he didn't get a 40 in, they were able to get in a bubble somewhere and shot video of him running routes, catching balls. And so I think that kind of gave uh, a little bit of comfort to those worried about his injury. And also with Corey Davis, the thing was uh, Jerry Sullivan, uh, longtime NFL wide receiver coach, was working with him. And Jerry Sullivan could act as his voice and kind of swear by Corey Davis. Um, I've gotten a phone call from Jerry on Justin Jefferson, and Justin Jefferson is the guy that he is advocating and really pushing as a number one, and he believes that Justin Jefferson could be and will be the best wide receiver in the draft based on his interactions with him a year ago when he was the wide receiver coach down at LSU. Um, I, I do think it's interesting when we talk about the hip situations with uh, Tua Tungavaloa. We have in recent years seen some guys that have had um, some injury issues that we may not have fully gotten, gotten resolved heading into the draft. I think the difference is with Tua, because of the COVID-19 situation, we haven't had our opportunity to put our hands on them and really get that, that final checkoff where everybody else from Bosa to Davis to others had that full uh, evaluation and check where your team could feel good about what they were getting. I think Tua's situation is just so different because you can see the videos and the like, but until you can really sit down across from him and put him on the table, you just don't know. And I think the unknown scares a lot of people. Yeah, and Rhett, for those uh, that don't know, we do have the Tua Tonga-Vailoa uh, 360 episode coming next week. Yes. So we have a talk with Trent Dilfer, and he gets into a lot of the health situation and where he's at physically. Obviously, it's not Dr. Dilfer, so take it with a grain of salt, but uh, gives us a little insight to where he is right now. Sure. Um, and then uh, just to round it out, like I, Darnell Savage was so much of a riser that it was no shock when he went off the board to the Packers last year at 21 that he was going to be the first safety. Uh, off the board there and then you know LJ Collier felt like a, maybe a little bit of a reach there with the Seahawks at the end of the first round but may, may turn out to be we just haven't seen a whole lot of them yet. man I don't know like I had a tough time with the LJ Collier thing and I was trying to uh give them I, I just didn't see any special stuff off tape he was a big power player and so I could understand like when when they talked about like hey they're gonna put him down and he was gonna kind of be their based in and those things I just didn't see like a, a high-end player on that. And you look, look, it's only the first year. He could obviously turn it around. But you, you talk about risers and reaches. To me, that did feel like a bit of a reach. Yeah, I think he was like my 57th or 58th player. Um, and he went in the bottom of one. So, yeah, that at the time. And we'll see. Time, he's got time to kind of turn this thing around. The interesting thing about the Seahawks, side note, is the Seahawks for an organization that consistently wins. I mean, they, they were able to, to do a smooth rebuild without having to go down to the toilet. Um, but you can look at some of their first-round picks 
over the years, Buck, and it is not good, man. They've had a handful of swings and misses, for sure. I had Rashad Penny as a reach or riser, not sure yet. Um, he had the injury last year after he had uh, kind of started to play pretty well. Um, but DJ, yeah, you want to start? I think at the time I thought it was a little bit of a reach, but no, it's 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 interesting. What they've done though is they've they've been able to trade back and get a bunch of picks, and they've hit on a ton of middle round picks, and not just like good players, like great players in that range. They've done really well with middle rounders and undrafted free agents. And uh, Pete, their coaching staff, has done a really good job of developing their players. I think they have one of the best development plans. Um, that they, you can find when it comes to getting guys wherever they are and getting them ready to play over the course of the season. When you look at their team, their young guys begin to start playing weeks 10, 11, and 12, and they're ready for the opportunity. So, DJ, you want to get into the mock draft here? Mock draft yeah, let, let's, let's jump in here, mock draft, and uh, kind of go through. I'll go through uh, 10 at a time here and then kind of give you the highlights and then why don't you guys jump on wherever you want to uh, to hit on here, Buck uh, and Rhett. So I've got Burrow going to Cincinnati. The top three, Burrow, Young, and Okuda. I think a lot of people have had that uh, for a while now, and maybe that could shake up with a trade, but I wanted to keep it clean on this one. No trades. Um, then you get to four with the Giants, which was Worf's, which to me just felt like Dave Gettleman. Worf's is like a brand stock. Buck always likes talking about Warren Buffett and kind of you know making sure you're getting stuff that's reliable, dependable, you know what you're getting. Um, I think that is Worf's. I don't think he's the best tackle in the draft, but I think it probably you could make a case he's the safest tackle in the draft um, with everything considered. The the five six I do believe Herbert and Tua will go to the Dolphins or the and the Chargers. I don't know who's going to go to who. Um, we've been discussing this and debating this for a long time. I just know at Herbert's pro day they were well represented, um, and they've had a chance to do the entire workup on Herbert. So that's why I had uh, Herbert going over to a five six. Then we have Derek Brown to Carolina, Wills the tackle to Arizona, Becton is a little bit of a surprise going to Jacksonville. But the reason I had that is because it allows him to get better at two spots. You can kick Cam Robinson inside to guard. Cam Robinson struggled a little bit. I think he'll be better suited inside. So you get better at the guard spot. You get better at the tackle spot with Becton. And uh, and I think that's why it makes sense w- with that pick there. And then Cleveland at 10 was a situation, Buck, where Isaiah Simmons just kind of fell into their lap. Even though they need another tackle, I think he'd be too good to pass up. Yeah, I, I, I think with Isaiah Simmons, they would have to take him. I think this is a situation where you have to take the best player that's available, and then you have to figure it out uh, with your defensive staff. And um, we've talked about it, I think we talked about it on the program, in terms of you got to build your team to win your division. And because the Baltimore Ravens are so formidable with uh, Lamar Jackson and that running game, you have to figure out a way to have someone that can neutralize Lamar Jackson as a runner. Isaiah Simmons does one thing that we know he does really well. He is athletic. He can run and chase. He can do a bunch of different things when it comes to blitzing and covering. I think he would be the perfect Lamar Jackson uh, eraser. And I think if he's there at 10, the Browns have to run the card up. Yeah. Uh, Look, I I look at number three, uh, Okuda to the Lions, and I just, you know, I I understand what they had to do with Darius Slay. I'm just wondering how losing one top flight corner and then using your, your number three pick to bring in a replacement makes them any better than they were a year ago. Um, you know, they're still, they're still down one side of the field there with the corner. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, but look, I get that that's something they may have to do. And then look, I think obviously the meat on the bone here is, is Herbert ahead of Tua. Yeah, and I think that this is a possibility. I don't think this is the crazy, you know, throwing something against the wall. I just think you have, um, a situation where there's a lot of unknown with Tua and there's a lot of known with Herbert. Now, 
It's 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 like that. What was the game? Uh, uh, was it Let's Make a Deal or whatever's behind yeah. door number one? It, it, literally, it's like you see, you can have this dishwasher, which is Herbert. You can see exactly what it is. <laughs> or do you want what's behind door number two or curtain number two, whatever they said on that show? Because that's Tua. You don't know exactly what you're getting there. Uh, so it could be a, a week trip to the Bahamas, uh, or it, it could be a broom. You know, I, I don't know. Look, <laughs> uh, like, I, uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, the, the one thing that I want to weigh in on the Herbert to Miami thing, and I've said this, and I think um, it's something to watch. There are a lot of people that are down in Miami's front office that were in New England and heavily influenced by Bill Parcells. And so if you go back and you think about Bill Parcells and what he says about quarterbacks and why Justin Herbert might be a better fit for them in Miami, he was a, Bill Parcells, when drafting quarterbacks, was always a believer in three-year starters, senior in college, a graduate from college. He wanted you to have 30 starts, win about 75% of your games, complete over 60% of your passes, and have a two-to-one ratio. There are only two quarterbacks in this draft class that check off all those boxes, Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts. And so it's not as crazy as you think that the Miami Dolphins would say, hey, let's go for the safer choice and Justin Herbert when you think about the unknown that surrounds Tua Tungavaloa. All right, did you want to get us to the second 10? Yeah, sure. Let's go uh, 11. The Receiver row. I know. We got some wideouts going here. 11, the Jets, uh, with the decision of, of getting the fourth tackle on Andrew Thomas, or do they take the, the top receiver, whoever they may deem that to be? I had him going with, with Lamb in this one to switch it up. Uh, Jerry Judy to the Raiders. They get a receiver at 12. Uh, this was a fun one. San Francisco with Henry Ruggs, which would just be so much fun to watch him in that Kyle Shanahan system. Uh, Andrew Thomas goes 14 to Tampa, so they get him at right tackle. I, all of a sudden, you've got a pretty good offensive line there, uh, really good on the interior, and, and get him to uh, to play right tackle. Uh, Kinlaw goes to Denver, Javon Kinlaw, who uh, gives them somebody they need up front in the trenches. You put him next to Jarrell Casey, that'd be fun to watch those guys uh, play together. Uh, C.J. Henderson to the Falcons, the corner from uh, Florida. Uh, Caleb Von Chase on to the Dallas Cowboys to, to be on one edge on the opposite of Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, Yatur Gross Matos goes to the Miami Dolphins with their second pick, edge rusher from Penn State. Uh, I think tackles is definitely an area they need, but I think uh, they do that with their with their last pick in the first round. Uh, A.J. Terrell, the uh, the Raiders go back to Clemson to get another corner to match with Trayvon Mullen. Uh, and then 20, Jacksonville. I had Justin Jefferson, who Bucky was just talking about, who we all love uh, in this draft, going to the Jags to uh, team up with another former teammate with D.J. Chark there, uh, Chark there with, uh, with the Jags. So look, I, look. Obviously, what sticks out to me is is the receiver row going 11, 12, and thirteen. Uh, Lamb to the Jets, Judy to the Raiders, and Rugs to the 49ers. Um, you know, I, I love that. Um, look, I love I love the fits with each. I mean, obviously, Robbie Anderson gone. Jets need a big time playmaker out there at at, uh, at wide receiver for Sam Darnold, and uh, I know they'll figure out a way to continue to upgrade that offensive line as well. And Oh, man. Judy, uh, look, you, you lose one really good Alabama wide receiver. You bring in another when they traded Amari Cooper. Now they get Jerry Judy to come in there with uh, with Derek Carr and, and run that Raiders offense. Man, that's that's exciting. And then you get the burner and rugs who can do a little bit more. It almost kind of replaces that element that they missed last year when Marquise Goodwin was hurt for most of the year. Now you get that that world class speed again with rugs and probably provide you a little more. 
Yeah, better player. Yeah. I mean, you get you get you get the speed, but you get a better player. I think Marquise Goodwin was a guy that was a fourth or fifth receiver in Buffalo. Kyle Shanahan basically made him into a, a dominant playmaker in that offense. Henry Ruggs is a much better player. And so if you get an accomplished player who has speed, burst, route running ability to go with Debo Samuel on the other side, I would expect this offense to add a dimension. And as Jimmy Garoppolo continues to get comfortable, Kyle Shanahan does a great job of setting him up with home run shots. Uh, Henry Ruggs would be the perfect complement to what they had. And they, look, they didn't get Dante Pettis right, but some of the other guys, Kendrick Bourne and the other guys that they've taken and developed, they certainly have gotten those guys right. This would be a luxury pick, but a pick that could pay big dividends for them down the line. All right, well, I'm going to keep this thing rolling here. Uh, let's get to let's just go to the finish line here. Philadelphia, this was a fun one because we've all pegged them with the receiver. But in this scenario, we just mentioned that run that we just saw in wideouts. They just went boom, 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 boom. So it could be a, an Iuke situation there. It could go Brandon Iuke from Arizona State, but I had him going Kenneth Murray at linebacker. The Eagles traditionally do not spend high picks on linebackers, but when you look at, at what you have to do to win in this league, to, to be deficient at that area, at that position right now, it's hard, man, with all the tight ends and backs in the passing game if you don't have guys that can run and cover. Uh, so anyways, that's why I had Kenneth Murray going there. Uh, Minnesota, I figured they go a combination of corner receiver. I had him going corner first with Jalen Johnson from Utah. Uh, New England, A.J. Epinesa. And uh, Buck, we talked about this the other day about Belichick wanting to be firm and strong on the edge versus uh, some of the speed stuff. So, man, this fits perfectly. Plus, you have the connection there, the Iowa connection. Kirk Ferentz, uh, very close with Bill Belichick. I assume he'd get the uh, the strong approval there uh, with A.J. Epinesa. New Orleans, they're in a best player available scenario. I mean, their roster is so good right now, and they're ready, ready to win big. Um, I think they just take the best available player. I don't think there's a glaring need on this roster. So I had him taking Patrick Queen, the linebacker, from just uh, down the road there in, uh, in Baton Rouge at LSU. Minnesota, T. Higgins. So they get the corner and the receiver. Miami, Josh Jones, the tackle from Houston. And that's a spot right there. We were talking about Isaiah Wilson. I would not be shocked if he was the pick right there with the Miami Dolphins at 26. 27, Austin Jackson, another tackle uh, from USC, goes to the Seahawks. But you know, you guys both know the Seahawks love to trade, so I would imagine they probably don't pick here. Uh, they'll end up trading back. Baltimore, 28. They need edge rush Zach Bond from, uh, from Wisconsin, who with worst-case scenario, he's a sub-rusher. You, you put him in third-down packages and let him rush. Um, Brandon Ayuk to Tennessee, which would be fun to watch him team up with A.J. Brown there. Uh, Corey Davis, we talked about, it's been a little disappointing. Um, you get a little more firepower there for Ryan Tannehill. Jordan Love, I'm sure you guys are going to want to get to that one. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you tee up the question, whichever way you want to go with that one. Going to Green Bay. Uh, Blacklock, the D-tackle from TCU, goes to the Niners. And Kansas City, uh, with the choice to get any running back in the draft that they want. Um, and I look, I have uh, DeAndre Swift as the 16th overall player, but I think the depth of the running back class uh, could push all those guys out of the first round. That's why I have Cesar Ruiz going to the Chiefs there uh, to shore up the interior of their offensive line. They can come back, get a running back later. Yeah, uh, look, obviously I, I'll go right to I'll go right to Jordan Love with the Packers uh, at number 30. I think that's uh, that's really intriguing. I mean, you've got there's there's some similarities there, right? You've got this immense arm talent, and you've got a guy that's really raw that is going to have the opportunity, just like Aaron Rodgers did, to sit, watch, learn, 
and and gain some knowledge here from one of the best and and have an opportunity to hone his skills. So when when he is called upon, maybe he can come right in just like Aaron Rodgers did. Um, I, man, I, I love that. Um, although I, I I don't know, I feel like somebody might jump uh, jump up and get Jordan Love before thirty, but I think it's it's an interesting thought there. Yeah, I, th- I think it's an outstanding thought, and I think it's something that Brian Gutekunst has alluded to. They've talked about the need to find a young quarterback uh, to be ready, just in case of a rainy day, the day that Aaron Rodgers may decide that he wants to retire or injury or anything forces him out the game. You don't want to have to go to the grocery store when you're hungry. You kind of want to go when you're already satisfied so you can make a good pick. Jordan Love, if he's in range, it makes sense to take him now. And even if it takes two or three years before he gets his opportunity, what better place to go to sit behind a great quarterback, learn how he studies and goes about the process, and then you're better ready to go play when you have your opportunity. Think about, what, 15-plus years of Brett Favre, 15-plus years of Aaron <laughs> Rodgers, and now you can go plus, 15 yeah. of this one. I mean, it's it's really unprecedented. I guess the only thing I could compare it to, uh, unfortunately, Andrew Luck's career was was drawn a little bit short there, but, man, they the Colts had a nice little run there when they went back-to-back with Peyton and his long run and then and then Luck. Yeah, the, the other one I thought, I mean, that just makes so much sense. I mean, Zach Bond feels like a really good Raven, like especially at that spot at 28 uh, with, the, with the edge rushers. Um just to kind of keep refilling their cabinet, keep refilling their pantry with those front seven players that they seem to do every single year, even though they have guys that go on, you know, like um, Zadarius Smith, the Green Bay. And then, well, Matt Judon picks up some of the slack. Well, he's a franchise player this year. Now you go and maybe get the next guy in Zach Vaughn. That makes so much sense to me as well. Yeah, it's it's. It's what Baltimore has done, and that's why they have so many comp picks every year because they have guys and they just keep restocking the shelves and then they let them leave and they get even more picks. It's just like this wheel that just keeps spinning and spinning and they keep getting more opportunities with more picks. Um, but, you know, on, in, in terms of mock drafts, by the way, we should say mock draft live uh, every Tuesday on NFL Network. That's 9 Eastern. So uh, Tuesday tonight, as we're recording this on Tuesday uh, morning, uh, you'll have the first episode that'll air, and then uh, we'll be going uh, the next few weeks as well on Tuesdays at 9 Eastern. I think, Bucky, are you up next? Is it your mock draft next week? Yeah, mock draft. I don't even know what version it is, but I have to come up with some fun stuff to throw in there. Yeah, yeah switch, switch it up on us, man. Um, all right, anything else you guys want to add before we before we roll out of here? Uh, what's going on with Joe Burrow 360? Yeah, that's coming up. That's uh, that's coming out uh, this week. That will be released April 9th on Thursday, um, and it's it's really good. If you enjoyed the Justin Herbert episode, this one is going to be fantastic. We talked to so many different teammates of, of Joe Burrow, We're talking to his dad, who's a longtime uh, defensive coordinator at the college level, get a chance to visit with his brother. Um, we had a chance to talk to a lot of people that know him well. Buck, we talked to Urban Meyer. Uh, so going back to the Ohio State, you talk to Ohio State teammates about Joe Burrow. So, I mean, there's, we do a deep dive on Joe Burrow that you're going to get next week. Yeah, deep dive. Uh, you kind of understand what makes him tick and why he's been uh, such a really such a really good player for LSU, overcoming all the adversity, but also having the right stuff on the inside, the competitive nature that has enabled him to be QB1, the ultimate QB1 of the 2020 draft class. Yep, and then we've got a uh, – episode on Tua Tonga Bailoa is going to come up the following week. 
It's uh, the following Thursday, April 16th. Thank you, Mark. Uh, April 16th, you can find the two episodes. So uh, be on the lookout for that. By the way, Path to the Draft is back. It was great to be back together with you guys. A lot of fun yesterday with our first episode. We're going five days a week. Uh, that is 8 Eastern every night on NFL Network. So if, you, if you're hungry for the draft, we've got, we've got you covered. We've got you covered on the audio pod. We've got videos, uh, nfl.com slash mtsvideo, youtube.com slash NFL podcast. And we've got Path to the Draft. We've got Mock Draft Live. I mean, what else do you need? I think we got everything here. One-stop shopping. Now, there you go. And I did see a video the other day that circulated of the Around the NFL guys uh, uh, having a little fun, saying that the NFL ought to start a uh, a draft-related podcast, taking their shots. Wow. I get it. Yeah, I I did it. I get it. But, uh, you know, I'm watching their videos, and I see this beard that that Rosenthal is rocking right now. Have you seen this thing, Buck? Uh, Yeah, I've I've, I've seen that crew uh, interesting. Interesting. They're still doing a podcast. Why did they do a podcast yeah, no. during draft season? Yeah, no, I think they talk. I think they talk about uh, European soccer. I think that's what they're talking about now, where their interests lie. You know what? I was just. I'm gonna be honest. Let me be honest with you, real quick, here before we get out of here. Yeah. I know what Hansus is. I know what he is. I know what he's all about. I, I accept that we're mortal enemies. That's fine. Uh, Rosenthal, guilt by association. I tie him totally. together. It's the other two I'm disappointed in. Because I still had hope for Sessler. I still had hope for Wessling. And this, let's take Wes out of this. Wes is alone. Sessler. Sessler taking shots. Really? Sessler, you were, you were our favorite. I mean, it's the lesser of four evils, but you were our favorite of the bunch. And now stock is down. Stock is way down. It's a shame. It's a real shame, Mark. Yeah. We, I just expected more. You know, that's all. Uh, all what right, do you that's expect? Do it Browns today. fan, you know? Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of misery in that soul. Uh, all right, let's get out of here. I appreciate you guys uh, checking us out. Catch us next time right here on Move the Sticks. Big shout out. Thanks to Mark Nabil, Arjuna, uh, the whole crew who's been getting us out there, uh, getting us up and running. So I uh, appreciate all you guys helping us, and uh, we'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.